Welcome to Culture Bites, where we take culture theory and turn it into everyday insights. We're powered by Human Synergistics, and our mission is to change the world one organization at a time. We can only do that together with our amazing community, so thank you for listening. Welcome to Culture Bites. My name's Dominic Gawley. I'm a consultant with Human Synergistics, and I'm joined by David Byram, our general manager. Hey, DB. Afternoon, Dominic. How are you? It's good to be back on the podcast. It's great to have you back. And today we've got a really special guest. So we're joined by Lynn Goodair. And Lynn's the CEO and Managing Director of the Australian Human Resource Institute, or ARI, as people commonly refer to it. So welcome to the podcast, Lynn. Thanks, Dom. It's great to be here and great to see you, DB. Great to see you too, Lynn. So Lynn, we want to get you into the studio today because we think you've got a really unique perspective as being you know, the CEO of this industry body of all HR professionals across Australia. And we want to get you in to talk really about, you know, what's your view on the, the, the role of culture in organizations? And then we're going to drill down a bit further as we go. So what do you reckon? What role does culture play? Well, there's nothing like a headline to draw attention to an issue. And certainly uh-huh. in recent times, uh, the matter of culture has had plenty of headlines and not particularly Flattering nice ones. headlines. Yeah. And I think the fact that we're talking about it mm. is a great thing. Mm. Now, of course, the hard work comes in terms of doing something about it. And Absolutely. Uh, w- when I was thinking before coming in here, I was thinking about the, sort of the concept of there's been a lot of shock. Mm. There's been a wee bit of shame. Mm. And what we've got to ensure, and when I say we, I'm talking about particularly the RE members and the roles they play in organisations mm. across Australia, is we've got to make sure there's not a lot of same. Mm. So I think that's a really important piece. And the challenge is, of course, it's it's not easy. It's complex. And when you think about culture, to me, it marries up with concepts like talent. It's It's got a, a nebulous component of it. And if we talk about talent in a narrow sense, we can mm. say, well, that's a very talented musician or a talented mm. sports person. Mm. But when we talk about talent in organizations, we know it's very complex and we know the challenge around having to, to build that talent, shape that talent, position that talent and engage that talent. And, and in many ways, culture and talent have a lot in common. Equally hard to find a, a definition. Certainly, there's no sameness, as in you need mm. talent that matches a particular need and opportunity, but equally, you need a culture that matches the organizational need mm. and uh, attracts the right sort of capability. And they're both really continuously requiring of nurturing and managing. And it's not something leaders can do alone. And it is a holistic obligation and responsibility. I liked a couple of a lot of what I heard. Yeah, there's a bunch in there. Yeah, particularly I'm going to go backwards. The way my mind works, I remember the last thing you said. That holistic view of culture, and it is one of those nebulous holistic things. And the market's improving in their knowledge. We now know, and there's pretty good agreement that culture is the the norms and the behaviours and the expectations of behaviour. But we have to take it head on holistically. And the link to talent is insightful. In fact, I'd say very insightful because what we find, particularly with culture, is that it's actually the brand that attracts. So some organizations have a natural brand and people want to work with them. They're affiliated with the brand. The banks will probably were in that position up until the Royal Commission, but there's still some organizations today that have a natural affinity and a brand to attract. Google, Amazon, those type of organizations. But what actually helps the talent be retained is the culture. And I think if I look to organizations now, there's a little bit of a a talent gap and a talent void, which I'd like you to expand on. But 
I think it's the culture that helps people retain their talent. Oh, I totally agree with what you're saying. And I think also we've, while we've been, had some exposure around what culture is and, and uh, what's good culture and what's bad culture, mm. I think the aspect of brand's really interesting because often a brand is perpetuated by leaders and it's by, by what they say, it's by the posters they stick on the wall mm. And, and, mm. and the media conferences they give. But in so many ways, culture is about, it's underpinned by values and it's the values around which you reward and it's the values around also what you let go and, and I'll put mm. who in the mix, who you reward and who you let go. And I, I stole that from Reed Hastings from Netflix because I think it, it really crystallizes that because we can say a lot of things and we can have a very charismatic, you know, innovative, cool brand. Mm. But the research that Ari's done, and I know human synergistics have done an enormous amount of work in this area, what's observed at the top can be quite different to what's experienced yeah. through the organization. And what's common between the top and throughout the organization, the front line, is the aspiration. We all aspire to mm. create workplaces that are positive, that mm. are engaging, that are ethical, that are values-based, and that are serving the customer well. But often, again, the gap is between the reality and the expectation. Yeah. And sometimes it's that knowing doing gap or, or saying doing gap, perhaps yeah. in this case. Not ill-intended. So I'm not, not suggesting, I think it's no. a lot of those leaders in those brands genuinely meant the mantras that were on the wall. But at times, and the reality is, and I'm sure we'll get to this question, that it's, it's tough stuff mm. and it can't be done alone. Mm. Yeah, 100% agreement. This could be a mutual appreciation. Thing <laughs> for podcast yeah, exactly. um, <laughs> it is. And there is no unattention or desire to create a culture that's less effective. Mm. And the aspiration ac across all industry sectors is the same. Mm. We want people to grow, make a difference. We want to care for our people. We want to be creative, curious. But then we get this gap, which translates from what's on the wall and our aspiration to our actual behaviors. So it's probably a little bit of a, a segue. What role do you believe the CEO, given you are the CEO and managing director, what role do you believe the CEO and managing director has in crafting the culture of an organization? I think if you were to summarize what I, I try to do, and I believe other leaders should do as well, is really our vision and values alignment. And that is not only in the way in which we go about serving our customers and crafting our products and our services and our communications but is the, the way we behave as well. And I think that misalignment between vision and values, and you only have to look at the, the changing equity as it relates to income distribution around the world, that more is held by few. And I think we've got to make sure that, that we're looking and we're measuring value on a, a broad spectrum of metrics that, that encompass financial and non-financial. And I guess that brings me back um, to a question that's very very much in, in the HS domain, mm. and that is measurement and the idea mm -hmm. that I can have the biggest vision and, and be supported by all of those around me and I can have the right values alignment, but I don't know if I'm hitting the mark, missing the mark, making a journey in the right direction. And, and back to talent and culture and their similarities is things change, people change, customers mm. change, environments mm. change, technology changes. And so part of the excitement and opportunity is that agility and that dimension of change, but it equally is the challenge. Yeah. Uh, 
And because you mentioned earlier as well, Lynn, in, the, in your first thing, was that culture is a thing you need to continuously work on. So it's not just kind of a tick, done. tick and oh, well, we've done culture now. We can forget that and put it in Wouldn't the drawer. So how, how have you approached it then of keeping that momentum, keeping that focus continuously? Yeah, well, I think we all are quite studious in having our strategy days and our planning days and mm. we, we develop the business plan. And I think we've probably, in some organisations, we've stopped the sort of long-term 10-year plan because we recognise that it's about uh, how we prepare ourselves for that as opposed to how we try and own what is going to be the future because it's a little mm. hard to tell. But I think at each point when you do that with your business model and, and all of those other elements, you equally need to be aligning and assessing the cultural fit for those changes because ah. one size does not fit all and that's the same. I'll go back to that culture and, and, uh, and talent composition that uh, talent mixes need to change as well at times to match the, the people plan, needs to match the organisation plan, but the culture needs to at times change. That's not the values necessarily and not necessarily the purpose, but as the iteration of, of the journey changes, sometimes you need different talent and you need different cultures to support that. Yeah, I think it's one of these things we're in this ever-changing world now. Yes. Mm. So it's it's the culture to handle the ever-changing world. Yes. So as an organization, how do I have an environment where it's actually okay to not know? It's okay to explore and be curious because if I'm relying on the rule book or if I'm relying on the few to make the decisions what to do. Yeah. and control, we're going to struggle because the few might not know and the rule book might not work. And that really taps into, again, some of the findings from the RE research. And that is that whether consciously or subconsciously, CEOs and leaders are working out negativity, negative messages, they, and people are preparing their messages in a way that cuts out the the negativity and no one wants to give the CEO the bad sales number or, uh -huh. or whatever it is. Uh -huh. And that aspect of diversity is so important, not only in diversity of thinking, but the diversity of communications and, and the like. And so as leaders, we have to be not only prepared for the change, but we have to be prepared to actually be open and, and confronted by that change. And, uh -huh. and, uh, and so it's a all gates down sort of style of leadership, I think, today. And in, on that basis, again, you have to have a really strong values base and a culture that, that is, is anchored into those values so tightly that it can actually manage the stretch of the change and be responsive to the diversity of thinking. I like that a lot. One of the challenges I regularly give to uh, executives I work with now is to ask the question you don't know the answer to. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Ask the difficult questions. And yeah. then... Yeah. It's like, it's okay not to know. Yeah. And more importantly, it's okay not to have the straight response. Yeah. Sometimes you, you need to show that. Yeah. And it's, that it's, it's the authenticity and the vulnerability, but it's really dealing with that ambiguity. Well, I've quoted a couple of names. I'll quote another one, Brene Brown. And mm -hmm. um, you can read a lot of her sure, work. And, yeah, she was. She um, but she talks about, and I'm probably not going to get it quite right, but the, the courage to be vulnerable. And I think we've had a very traditional view of leadership and, and that is the, you know, the brave, the loud, the, the kind of confident leader. And we all follow, um, you know, in that wake. But in fact, good leadership does mean exposing vulnerability, having an awareness of vulnerability and surrounding yourself with people who actually speak to that vulnerability in a way that isn't to, to cover up that vulnerability, but rather to 
support that vulnerability because, you know, we're, we're not perfect. And that's the, that's the thing I loved about Brene Brown is she actually talked about it as courage. She does. And that's important because the leader who, I've got all the answers, I know everything, they're actually full of it, right? Well, they, they, well. <laughs> they don't necessarily know everything, right? Well, and it's so an it's, arrogance, that's for sure. It's an arrogance. <laughs> and so it's actually brave to say, you know, I don't have all the answers all the time, right? But how do we explore? How do we get curious about those answers? One of the things, and I know you'll probably get to this, Debbie, but I might um, beat you there. We are obviously, you're aware, we're working on a, a strategy that is about professionalizing HR, and, and mm. that involves a certification standard. And we've done a lot of research to ensure that what we think is the right thing to be doing is in fact delivering the results both for the practitioners and the organizations. Oh. And when we started this process, we did research with a whole bunch of business leaders and CEOs. And when they looked at the, the model of competencies and skills and professional behaviors, what they said, they said, you know, the stuff in the middle of your model and, and what that is, is the sort of tactical, technical skills of HR, they're really important. But I kind of presume a, a professional given. HR has those uh-huh. and or they know when to go out and seek deeper veins of expertise. Uh-huh. But those professional behaviours, and there's 10 of them on the outside, they are what I, I need and want partnering me. And one of those professional behaviours is courage. Mm. Because at times, if you think about the role of HR, it sits in a fantastic position in terms of it doesn't work for the boss. Yes. It actually is there to straddle the organisation. It also doesn't own all the problems yeah. of the leaders or the individuals, but yeah. it's there to empower leaders in order to to build capability to manage those issues themselves. Yeah. So it sits in a really special Indeed. position. Yeah. And it's a, an incredibly important position, but it requires a whole lot of skills and it requires skills like courage. It re- requires being future focused. It requires being strategic. It requires understanding and caring about the organization, about the teams and about the individuals. Well said. So we've, it's a great segue because I was going to jump there. Oh, okay. <laughs> anyone, anyone would think we almost planned. Yes. So we spoke about the leader being the role model, living the values, helping to articulate those values, but not standing still, being ready to be oh. agile and adapt and move forward. So let's jump down a level to the HR professionals because I'm sure we're going to have lots on the podcast listening. How do they make a difference when it comes to culture? What's their role? It's a good question because I think whenever anything's in a headline, then everyone looks for an owner. And, mm. uh, and the question would be, well, you know, should the CEO, should I, should you, DB, be the owner of culture in the organisation? And the answer is yes. I think we need to make sure the vision and values are aligned. But then there are layers of accountability and responsibility. Mm. And at the end of the day, as I said, there's no doubt what we aspire for matches what's aspired for through the organisation. But our ability to see how it plays out can often be affected by where we are, when we're there, and, and all of the other things that often happen in that, that scenario. So from my perspective, HR has an extraordinary role to play in being accountable for the culture in the, within the organisation. And in the case of culture, as I said, that, that doesn't mean they're an expert necessarily, but they know where to get that expert advice. Oh. And of course, in the case of Avari, human synergistics is, is someone we look to in terms of assisting us in measuring the culture and also helping us articulate what that culture looks like. And then, of course, HR plays a huge role in working for the organisation to delegate responsibility to everyone in the organisation as it relates to understanding the culture, hooking into the culture and abiding by the culture that we've all agreed to 
to strive towards. Yeah, I like um, I like that language. It's almost the HR professionals have that responsibility to be somewhat independent. Yes. Mm. Yes. And the voice. Yeah. Which is the courage. Which is courage. Yep. Which is courage. And, and, you know, that's part of the challenge that the Institute has taken on. And that is up until now, anyone could call themselves an HR practitioner and, and often for the wrong reasons. You know, mm. they love people, and, and, mm. but that's not necessarily a prerequisite for, for what is a highly skilled role. And when mm. you think about the things that are going to be augmented by technology or, or replaced by technology and automated, the skills required to help shape a workplace culture to manage and harness talent in its most productive and committed way, they're probably about last in terms of the, the line of automation. So it is a really privileged opportunity, but is it, a, it is actually a very special skill set mm. and it isn't a job anyone can do. So we know our challenge is not only to help build that talent so that we're certainly doing that, there are a lot of talented HR practitioners out there and a lot who are our members. And the, diff- the challenge we've got is the market's a bit confused uh. because the waters have been a bit muddied uh-huh. and we need to get our house in order. So part of that was to establish this new standard and, and that's why we have various pathways for senior leaders as well as those emerging in through the practice. But if we have a lack of clarity, then what do you think the market has? And, and I think the challenge for us and why we're now entering this final phase of our communications is we're starting to talk with employers. But we first had to be really clear with our members about why we were doing what we were doing. This wasn't to cause disruption for the sake of disruption. We, mm. we knew we had to do this because anyone can call themselves an HR practitioner and that needs to change. Mm. We then have shared the stories of impact, the differences it's made, people going on this journey and that, that clarity, what that's provided to individual practitioners, but also organisations. Mm. And the last phase of our communications is talking with employers. Because at the end of the day, if they don't understand what good HR is and they mm. don't see the value of partnering with good HR, then there's no demand for what we're, we've got to present to them. So they are the last part of the puzzle and I'd love to have gone there first, but you can't say this is what good HR looks like. This is what it means to have a partner working alongside you for the organisation and this is how you find it. Yeah, I, um, I like it. The best analogy I heard and let me see what you think of this one, was uh, if I'm sick, I go to a doctor because I'm pretty confident they've done six years of tertiary qualifications, they do follow-up training, and I'm going to back their judgment. Mm. And it's pretty robust because mm. they care for me and my health. And they see themselves as a professional. And they're a professional. Mm. If uh, I'm talking about organisational health mm. and the health of the employees in the organisation, on the full screen, on the full Spectrum. Uh, spectrum of from culture through to talent and RAM, et cetera. If we take the analogy of personal health and a doctor, and we look at organizational health, where's the standard? Mm. Where's the qualifications? Yeah. How do we know we're getting the, the right advice? The benchmark, yeah. And understanding, and this is something we've, Ari has challenged itself around, is there are lots of ways to test knowledge uh-huh. and there's, there's ways to test skills. So really challenging thing to assess professional behaviours and how you use those behaviours to draw on and tap into the skills and the knowledge that you have at your disposal and or outside of your own own remit. And so for us, being able to measure those professional behaviours 
has been the point of difference. Mm. And the great news is that there's there are terrific practitioners out there in our membership that have been doing HR for a very long time and are highly skilled at it. So for them, this is an exercise in simply just validating around a standard that we can go proudly to market. And, and when uh, Ari rebranded not that long ago and, and it was done around a premise from our members who said, we want you to be more bold, more proud, more genuine and visionary about this profession. And we absolutely want to do that, but we've got to be really clear in what it is we're messaging to the market. There's no point waving banners and saying, we love HR. It actually is mm. being able to articulate the value of good HR within an organization and said the fact that it looks different in different organizations, that the ability of a skilled professional to take their knowledge and their skills and their behaviors and apply them in a context is pretty special. It's very special. And I've seen your, uh, your model several times now on Reddit, more than <laughs> several times. And it's the behavior piece that stands out for oh, me. Absolutely. And uh, compliments to our graphic, even though it's very hard to read things in a circle, but the idea that those professional behaviors are actually what wrap it together on the outside. So you can have all the, yeah. all the sort of bits, but it needs to be wrapped together and you need to call mm. on those professional yeah. behaviors. We're not adverse to things in a circle. No, I know. No. Yeah. <laughs> and you have a few oh, more lines and quadrants. It's an interesting segue. I, and I think we're probably going to get towards the wrap-up of um, this podcast that the role of HR professionals is not too dissimilar to the CEO in terms of role modeling those behaviors mm. and living those cultural beliefs and norms because if they're the custodian for organizational health or one of the custodians, and if they're not, why would others want to follow? What's your perspective on that? Well, as long as my CFO's not listening. <laughs> but, <laughs> but if you asked me what, I could only take one partner, you know, the desert island sort of question, but one, one partner forward in terms of being able to shape the organization. When I think about you know, finance numbers are fantastic. I, I'm an accountant in a former life, so so I get the value of numbers and I get their value in terms of telling me the journey we've been on, helping me to identify trends and and obviously projecting into the future. The partner I take with me is my HR partner because I think you can have the best vision, you can have the best sort of statement of, of values and objectives, and you can set up all the systems of measurement you want. But if you can't create a culture and you can't wrap the culture around that vision and around that purpose and then position you, people within that and connect and create that connectivity, then you're not going to get there. All the numbers in the world can stay on, stay out there, but you're not going to achieve that. Yeah. I like your desert island scenario and you're not a very typical accountant. I will say that. Yeah. I know you, you're an accountant for a long time. The desert island scenario is a good one because who do we take with us? And at our core, and what's common across all businesses is there is a performance angle. Mm. So mm. businesses, yourselves at, at the Institute, us at Human Synergistics, we do need to perform. And it's not only for our shareholders and our stakeholders and our members in your circumstance or our customers, it's for our employees. Mm. They want to mm. get some value. So we've got performance. We then have our people because they deliver mm. and our people need leadership. So- I often say on the island with me is I have my finance head of finance, my head of HR, and the CEO. And the three of them together, if they're aligned as a trinity, we're going to be in a good place. Absolutely. And I think what I loved out of this 
to wrap it up is, you know, you talked about the role of HRs getting alongside the organization and being there with you and straddling it, right? And having that unique position. So I took a lot away from this conversation, Lynn. Thanks for stopping by the studio. It was awesome to have you in here. And uh, maybe we'll see you on another one. Pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lynn. Thanks for listening to this episode of Culture Bites. If you enjoy the show, remember to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, leave us a review. It helps other people to find the show. If you have a question you'd like us to answer, email podcast at human-synergistics.com.au. We'd love to answer it. This podcast is copyrighted by Human Synergistics Australia, all rights reserved. To learn more about what we do, visit human-synergistics.com.au.